Hi again, Kevin here. This is the Spirit of Play Conversations on Creativity podcast. I had to restart recording my intro because of a train nearby. That won't stop us. All right, I'm going to start out today with a poem. This is a poem by Kay Ryan, uh, and the title is Post Construction. Who knows better than the builder not to trust a structure where it's off kilter, how too few rafters bear too much roof, and still it may stand proof against craft, strong as though ghost ribs had been added after one left. I like that poem. I like Kay Ryan a lot. Um, I'm excited for you to listen to this conversation between Margaret Lee and myself. She's an artist and a teacher. Um, she has a course available online called The Creative Unblock. Follow along with her online at mlbrownstudio.com or on Instagram at mlbrownstudio. We had a really good time. We talked about inspiration and education and feeling stuck when you're creating um, and the the need and value of creative discipline um, and approaching creative work as a way to find new solutions. And that's a lot of what her, her course is about as well. Um, I hope that you enjoy it and reach back out if you have any questions. Um, thank you again, Margaret, for the, the wonderful conversation. there's no real format to this, but I just, and I didn't want there to be a whole lot of structure anyways, but um, I've admired your work for a long time. And um, I know that we had actually messaged back and forth like a year and a half ago or something, trying yeah. to get coffee and life and 2020. And now here we are, but right. <laughs> um, I just, I've been excited to hear more about your story and hear more about where you're coming from with your art process and yeah. how you approach art um, and not just technically approaching it, but how do you think about it? And you are very intentional with having um, a, a mindset about your creative habit. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to hear more about that. So there's, there's no real structure, but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd love to, uh, to hear more. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Uh, I never get tired of hearing that somebody admires your work because, you know, as you know, probably, um, you know, you do the work and then um, so many days just go by where you're um, kind of hashing it out yourself. And so it's always nice to hear that it resonates with someone or um, when somebody buys a piece, just how much they love it and adore it. So um, it's always good to hear that because there's a lot of days where, you know, there's it's almost like, you know, chirping of, you know, of nothing. And so um, thank you for saying that. Yeah. So um, my story is, uh, I guess I'll start at the beginning of when I started um, the creative journey, which is like so many other um, people uh, always painted when I was younger. I spent a lot of time alone. So um, I did a lot of painting by myself in my room. Um, and so uh, that kind of started when I was really young and then went on a lot of various different paths as far as career changes and whatnot. And honestly, for a while, just thought that I was just never going to figure out where I kind of fit into the world. Um, I did, well, when I went to school, I did apparel design um, and then that didn't work out. And so then I went into art education. And although I loved it for so many reasons, and it's kind of coming back full circle just in a different format. Um, once I ended up having my second child, um, I decided that uh, it was too much of the same, um, going and teaching all day, uh, kind of managing and disciplining and, and teaching and then turning around and doing that at home became a little too repetitive. And so I thought to myself, you know, if I'm ever going to do it, I should do it now. And um, not only that, but I was also one of those individuals that 
um, never hung a piece of artwork in my house because I always thought to myself that I could do whatever I wanted. Um, uh, if I saw a piece of artwork, I would never buy it because I was like, well, I'll just, I'll one day I'll create that, you know, and one day I'll hang that up. And so, um, so yeah, so after I had my second child, I quit my job and um, I have been pursuing art ever since full time. So, so when um, you were in art education, what mm -hmm. was the age group that you were teaching? Yeah, so I did high school. I did all of the advanced classes. I did art one all the way up to AP, um, which was really beautiful because um, there's so much that I learned from that experience. Um, I learned how to present well. I learned how to have really intimate conversations with people about their work, their creativity, their lives, really, you know, and mm -hmm. there's something really beautiful about um people in high school, they're just so, they're adults, obviously, but they're so, they're still pliable, you know, they're still um, able to, uh, they haven't quite figured all of it out yet in a beautiful way to where you can really make an impact. And they're very vulnerable at the same time. And so um, it's a beautiful combination where you can uh, really have some wonderful conversations that make a huge difference, um, but also see such a rawness to people um that tends to kind of seems to kind of dwindle the older they get you know the older we get the more kind of walls that we keep up or um the more we become more judgmental of others um but with high schoolers um there seems to be it's a beautiful part where you're obviously your brain's not completely done solidifying um mature wise and so it's still obviously um, I mean, I don't think your brain actually completely is done formatting until your twenties. And so, um, yeah, so it was a really good experience, um, as a whole, I learned a lot from it. I think more than I realized, um, until after the fact. So, yeah, that's really, that's really special. I think there's probably a lot of overlap in the kind of the mindset that you and I both have about how we like when we're approaching the the creative process and mm -hmm. the idea of play being mm -hmm. really really important mm -hmm. yes and i think giving yourself allowance for that and i think that maybe there is room especially when you're younger to see it as nothing but that um and yeah i, I mean i even noticed on i think you had a, a post online today talking about yeah <laughs> the, the lack of inhibition and it of of play having a high place of importance i think that we uh, we forget that we learn through that absolutely absolutely the power of play is in so many areas um, there's play therapy um, and i know that there's a book uh one of the books that martha beck wrote uh, where it talks just about the biggest difference between you know us and animals is problem solving and so much of problem solving is playing because if if we thought something was too difficult to begin with, then we wouldn't try. But if it's playful, you know, if there's joy behind it and we're doing it from a lighthearted mindset, um, the possibilities can be endless and you can come up with so many more solutions to the problem if we look at it with a lens of, of play in mind, for yeah, sure. Yeah, obstacle completely changes its definition at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, and that kind of goes to a you have a course not to jump super far ahead but you have a course that you're that you're that you're releasing or or have been yeah. releasing online where you talk about um a little bit that i've read about it 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 looks like you're trying to approach even people who are not stereotypically creative about problem solving and creativity as a solution yes yes so there's so much research now that we didn't have um, uh, even, you know, uh, even a generation ago and so much of it, uh, I, I think that the future and, and so many books that I read there, um, there's so many now that I, I can't even tell you one in particular. Um, uh, but so many of the ones that I'm reading and have been reading for a while always point to, um, creativity because it really is this uncharted territory because it's, it's, um, difficult for people to approach because they've been taught a certain way where there's creative people and then there's not creative people. And if that's not your career choice, then you can't, you just put it down at such a young age and then you never pick it up again. But what I think we don't realize is that 
you know, we basically have two small brains um, in our head. And if we're only activating just one side, which is the logical side, the analytical side, but then yet we have this whole other side that we could be using to problem solve. Um, and what they've realized is um, that by accessing the left and right hemisphere at the same time, it generates what we know is uh, quote unquote, the flow, um, a time where, you know, time stands still, you're so ingratiated in something, ingratiated in something that um, you, uh, that time flies and you just feel like you're, you know, in line with whatever you're supposed to be doing. And what I've realized about the creative process um, through the years is you can implement that. Anybody can implement it. It really is a type of formula to where everybody can access it. But I think only artists have found that place because they're the only ones um, that I know of so far that have been courageous enough to kind of go there because it is very uncomfortable. Um, and I think we kind of just happen upon it, um, which is really interesting because because the right hemisphere of the brain, which is the part of the brain that only really recognizes symbols and visual, um, that's the reason artists know what this side um, is like, because they're the ones that use it all the time. But what we don't realize is that everybody can benefit from it, because if you end up using both sides, that's where the breakthroughs happen. That's where the aha moments come from. Um, from this actual back and forth. And so there's a great book, um, and I'm trying to remember, Jill Brolt Taylor did a YouTube, a TED talk about it. Um, it's called The Stroke of Genius. And she um, goes into great detail about what it was like to not have access to her left hemisphere and only access to her right. Um, and so much of it's so beautiful because it's everything that we thought, um, but because she actually is a doctor and has, uh, her whole life has been studying brains, it puts it into such perspective that hunches that I've had forever, she kind of solidified for me that, um, that it is true, that there is a way of, of accessing that flow and it's through creativity. And I think a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, there are so many different forms of ways of getting into higher consciousness. Um, you know, some people use plant medicine, some people meditate a lot, some people exercise a lot. And I really do feel like the last frontier a little bit is creativity. And so I feel like part of my passion is, um, is teaching anyone how to access this part of themselves so they can be more at peace with themselves, so they can have those aha moments, so they can be more present when they're around people. Um, because what it does is it creates new grooves in your brain, which inevitably makes you a happier person. Um, so there's so many benefits that I could go on and on about it, but what have, I have found to be um, very, the most interesting about it is making sure that we're making it possible for everyone to have access to this and not just artists themselves. Is it great that artists use it? Absolutely. And should they continue? And could they take the course? Of course. But, um, but where I've seen so many like beautiful situations um, has been with people that love creativity, really admire it, but they've never actually uh, tried it themselves. And that's where the magic happens. When you see someone that thought that they never could do anything creatively um, and they do it. And then you can see the, 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 um, just the um, admiration for themselves, uh, getting to know themselves on a different level that's always been there. They've just never known how to access it before. And it, it is uncomfortable at first. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean at first as when you're, when you're learning how to allow yourself to be creative, but like mm -hmm. it, it's, it's consistently uncomfortable at the yes. start. It, it's very, <laughs> it's messy. Um, when you learn to embrace, I'm trying to make it messy yeah. in order to make it something on the other side of it that you can't get to unless it goes through the uglies, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know about when you're starting a painting. Um, but there's a lot of, it's not just the, what do I do with the first stroke on the page? It's the first, you know, 20, 30 strokes, every step after the other, other steps, it's, it's always like, this is just getting messier and messier mm -hmm. and messier. <laughs> and then eventually you're like, wait a minute, you start to see shape come out of that. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know how that, how that works, um, in a, in a problem solving 
way to I, I want to hear about, about your art and we'll I didn't mean to jump this far ahead yeah well I, it's all it's all kind of interconnected so yeah. yeah so I think I don't think you know um a great book called um the war of art um have you read that no uh great book and it really that's all it does is talk about um resistance and so what it is uh the ugly part of it the hard part of starting is resistance because you feel that um i still feel that uh, i think yeah. that's why it's really important to have a regimented schedule um so there's always a time that you step into the studio um and every single time i step into the studio the first thing i say to myself to make sure that i'm in the right mindset is to say, I'm just playing today. I'm just playing yeah. because, um, I tend to be an individual that can be very hard on myself, um, and judge myself very quickly. And so really a gift that painting has brought me is introducing a side of myself that it's okay just to enjoy and to be present and to play. And, um, yeah, so sometimes, um, sometimes the process happens a little bit differently, um, for me, as far as the beginning, um, the beginning of it. Um, but a lot of times what I've realized ends up happening is it's really a sense of trusting yourself, right? So you go in, you, there's a blank canvas. Um, and, um, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll start out by, um, mixing some acrylics with a lot of water, um, just to kind of get the, um, the, the white canvas to go away. So, um, a lot of it is a lots of mixing of different colors, um, different variations of um, the colors that I'm using and then also the liquid and then the brushes. So, you know, if you could put it into three different sections, that's really what I'm playing around with is what happens if I, you know, put just orange down and then mix it with pink or mix it with like a deep red or so on and so forth. And then I mix that around and I'll let that sit. And so basically what I did at the very beginning uh, when I first started was you know, how can I just start, right? The baby steps of how can I just uh, begin the process of the abstract work? And so this seems to work really well for me because, um, because it, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people think this is, there's something very um, interesting about the process of painting specifically, as opposed to drawing, because the drawing you know, the mark that you make is there, it's concrete, it's not really going anywhere. With paint, it's very fluid. You have to be flexible with what happens in the, in the interaction that happens with the brush and the paint and the water because you can never have it just right. You can never say, oh, well, if I put this amount of water or this amount and of paint or whatever. Yes, weird. exactly, which is, is, it's a give and take, it's a push and pull. And I think that's the beautiful part about it is because even though you're um, in the process of helping create, you are also not the only uh, one at play, you know what I mean? And so, um, but, but people that really have a difficult time with control, um, this is really a beautiful process for me included, which is to be okay with that, you know, to be okay with the process of not knowing where it's going with maybe not liking a color that comes out, but working with that anyway. And there's so many life lessons, um, that art reflects, you know, people say, you know, art is life and light is life is art. And I totally agree. And I'm still learning that every day because you see it in so many different ways when it comes to um, creating. And one of those specifically when you start is the process of being okay with being part of it, but not being able to control each aspect of it. Yeah, I, I primarily use watercolor. Mm -hmm. um, I'll use other things on top of it, but I, I like to use watercolor as a base. And I don't think that I ever anticipated that being my medium of choice. Mm. Um, but it's funny because it has life in it. It is a natural mm -hmm. thing and it's going to do whatever it needs to do. Um, and you talked about give and take, and there's usually a point where um, I either have to let it be mm -hmm. mild or I have to push it into something that I can't control at all. Mm. And there's like, there's a lot of struggle and tension there. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Yeah. And you use pastels too, don't you? Yeah. So I use, um, I use acrylic at the beginning and then, or um, I'm a big fan of inks, inks. Yeah. Um, uh, basically it's watercolor, but the pigment is a little bit more denser. 
uh, you, you can kind of go farther with it sometimes. Um, so I use either acrylic or inks and even house paint, uh, tends to be my yeah. first layer, uh, then, then acrylic or inks. And then on top of that, then I'll do oil. But then as I work throughout that process, I will incorporate some, there's two, two different types. I'll either use, um, pastels, but they're like, a um, um, they're not a chalk pastel, but I guess that's the category you would put them in. Um, but then I also use, uh, oil pastels as well. It's, it's funny seeing the, the way that one can, can blend into the other and push mm -hmm. depth of field. Um, I, I think that I found using oil pastels and water-based paints repelling mm -hmm. each other mm -hmm. just opened a whole world. Right. <laughs> like, right. You can do things on top of each other and then have unexpected layers appear. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So the chalk, that's exactly, that's exactly what I think uh, when using the, um, the oil pastels is that one repels the water, right? But then the other one kind of absorbs all of it. You know what I mean? So it kind of, you can kind of blend it and stretch it with the, um, the top type of chalk pastel. So yeah. one repels and then one kind of, um, absorbs. So, yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I think whenever I run into a, a roadblock, not necessarily with one specific painting, but just like with painting in general, like what else mm -hmm. am I doing here? What, why am I doing this? Um, I have to keep coming back to, well, even if no one sees it, what's the, what would be the most fun thing to put on paper right now? Mm -hmm. And that's usually the avenue that leads me to a whole bunch of other things where um, I don't think I would necessarily get, get tired of it, but I think it's, how do we trick ourselves into creating? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> you have to. You're like, well, this doesn't mean anything or make any sense. And then you trick yourself into doing it. And three hours later, you're like, oh, man, this is amazing. Right. And you're right. in a better state. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And and uh, I do the exact same thing. I ask myself uh, either two questions. I'll ask myself, um, you know, what would be fun to do here? Or or what I'll ask myself is, what what color or shape is really going to challenge me? Um, because I think that both are really um, interesting questions to ask yourself as you're doing it. Because um, I love the um, juxtaposition between um, forces in a way. And so um, I, yeah. I love asking myself, can I create something um, even though, because I think so many times we kind of box ourselves in with, oh, well, we can only use these particular colors or we can only think this particular way. Um, but challenging, as I think about it, when I'm painting, challenging myself to push colors that I would never use before um, also opens up just as much, you know? And so kind of playing around with both of those vocabularies of what challenges me and what kind of pushes me away that I want, I force myself to use to see what happens or also um, what do I want to use to play with that, that, that I'm drawn to, you know what I mean? Do you pick your color palettes before you start working or do you have them all at your, at your access and pull and choose while you're in the process? Um, so I, that's a great question. Um, so I always try to stay <laughs> with, yeah. within boundaries of a particular color story just because I release in series. So I think in, in theory, it makes sense if all of them feel like they're a family, you know, that they yeah. all complement yeah. one another or feel like that they um, inter interlace somehow. Um, and I'm getting better at that, but that really is my biggest challenge. Uh, I think just in general <laughs> is, is limiting, uh, which is funny because like, I never wear color myself, like clothing wise. Um, yeah. I don't wear a lot of color. I wear a lot of neutrals. Um, but I think probably my biggest challenge is really toning down my palette, um, as much as possible, because even when I think it's pretty toned down, other people think it's quite vibrant. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm still working I... on that. I relate to that a lot. I, a couple of years ago, I walked into the office and a coworker was like, oh, look, it's Kevin in another earth tone neutral <laughs> outfit. Um, I don't intend for my paintings to be super colorful and vibrant, but it's just what I want. It's what I, I think I need more of. And um, I also <laughs> really relate to having to, you know, Kevin, you've 
set this palette aside. This is the, I like, did you yeah. say color story? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, That's, totally agree. And I think part of that is that I will push myself in ways that I won't otherwise if I, if I give myself parameters. I think parameters, you know, creativity isn't everything goes. Well, you you want room for play, but there's also this other element of parameters that allow you to explore deeper. Yes. You yes. can go deeper and explore richer contexts, you know, in, in, in a way that you might not because you have easy access to as many colors as you want or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that um, a lot of times that there, you know, and there's been a time where I've felt the same way where, you know, I'm just going to go with whatever color, you know, whatever canvas or whatnot, but I have found that the best work that, um, that I feel I've created has always been within some sort of um, simplistic boundaries, nothing, nothing too significant. Even when I um, teach other people, you know, you can't give them every single medium possible, you know, the, the possibilities are endless, but you really see some beautiful things happen. Um, either with yourself or when you're watching someone go through it um, when they have at least because um, if they have some sort of boundaries um, it makes you feel safe and in control in some ways right and so there is no play if we don't if, if everything's chaotic and so I think a yeah. lot of times if, if, if all the options right are available to us then it almost um, inhibits us from doing any of it because uh, we don't feel like chaos obviously has to be balanced um, on some levels, especially when it comes to creativity, because there's so many choices that you can make, you know, yeah. especially yeah. when you're talking about abstract, because I think that there's a huge conversation that you can even just talk about the difference between abstract, you know, subjective and objective artwork, um, because it's a completely different mindset. And you're not, um, uh, you're not asking yourself, the same questions uh an abstract artist is not asking themselves the same questions that their realist artist is right so sure. um uh, abstract seems to a lot be a lot more introspective in, in a lot of ways um so i also think that that's very fascinating you know because it's it's almost like you're going through your own your own therapy in a way you know because you're constantly having to ask yourself questions about what you think and you know, why you're making all of these choices, but obviously that can inhibit you as well. If, if you have too many choices at the same time. Yeah. I think about that a lot. I think about how you, when you are in the process of, of painting, drawing, making marks on a paper, um, what choices do you have to have your energy focused on and what choices can you go ahead and, and set yourself up mm -hmm. for in advance and, and things like color, is, mm -hmm. is one of those things where if you have every medium available and every color available, you're going to be exhausting your energy that yeah. you want to be investing, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And that can get really expensive too. So sometimes it's just yeah. really nice if you, you know, because I did like a whole series where I just did black and white. Um, and that's actually how that was like my baby step into the world of art where I was like, okay, if I only have to use black and white, I mean, you know, it's pretty no cheap. Other questions. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty easy, yeah. and it was it was a nice baby step because I, it was just enough to bite onto, you know, that I felt like it was doable, um, but it didn't overwhelm me to where you know there was too many choices. So I totally agree with that. That's fun. Um, you mentioned that you spent a lot of time when you were small, alone, painting, making art, was that abstract or were you trying to draw, like this is a rabbit, I'm trying to draw a yeah. rabbit. And what, <laughs> what was that like when you were starting um, out as a kid? As a kid, you know, I honestly, I, and I've heard this from other people as well. I actually didn't think you were an artist if you couldn't just imagine it and draw it. So, um, so I spent, I'm a huge animal lover. So I spent a lot of time painting, um, animals specifically, um, uh, from the cat family. So lions, cheetahs, apparently. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, and I did some, um, landscapes as well. Um, nothing too extravagant, but, um, but yeah, so that's kind of, the world that I lived in because I thought, like I said, I wasn't exposed to a lot of abstract work when I was younger. Um, the most abstract work, which I had a, um, 
I had a book on it and I still have it, which was uh, a whole huge thick book about the um, Impressionist era, which was my mm -hmm. favorite at the time because it was just abstract enough. Um, and I just loved the color arrangement and the sense of movement to it. Um, and so that was actually my favorite and um, still one of my favorite movements. Um, but that's, yeah. So I kind of lived in the world of, okay, if I, if I want to do art, I have to replicate what I see. Um, because I can't just imagine it and draw it. Um, so I definitely, I was introduced to abstract actually a lot later um, uh, on a deeper level when I created, when I went back to school for art education, you have to take so many painting classes. And um, in my painting classes is where I actually found abstract work. And it was kind of love at first sight type scenario to where I was like, wow, like it just, it just brought so many options to you, to me so quickly that I was like, this is, this is something that I want to dedicate my life to because it's mm. just so interesting to me and the options are, you know, they're endless. So actually, yeah. So I actually found abstract a lot later on. Um, in Do you life. remember who those artists were when you said that you went back to school and, and rediscovered or discovered abstract? Yeah. So it wasn't, um, um, well, one of my favorite artists, is um, Darian Waterston. He's um, in New York and he does these amazing, um, I guess you would consider them like euphoric types of abstract landscapes. Uh, they mm. look familiar, but you can't place them. You know, sometimes some of them look underwater. Some of them look, um, um, I know that he did one, a series on volcanoes, Hawaiian volcanoes, which were amazing. So it's kind of very similar to impressionism in a way, where, but he kind of pushes the ball a little bit farther down um, where you get a sense of a landscape and you get a sense of um, an atmosphere, but you just can't quite place it almost like a dream. Um, and so uh, he was, he was probably my biggest um, influencer because when I saw his work for the first time, I said, that is where I want to live. <laughs> like in that oh, area of where it's a sense of, there is a sense of reality and groundedness where you do feel like you've been there before, but um, it's abstract enough to where you can constantly ask yourself, you know, um, uh, different questions, you know, in it. So definitely look him up. He's great. Great. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to look that up. And I relate to the the early exposure to Im impressionists, and I feel like it's a like an easy gateway drug from people who are yeah. used to realism <laughs> dipping into. Yeah, I can express both at the same time. Right. Um, being able to it kind of confuses your senses, right? Like mm -hmm. I should I should recognize this. I do recognize this. I don't know what I'm looking at. It feels familiar. Mm -hmm excited to look that up um i remember being a kid and, and stumbling across a book of paul clay's paintings mm. and being kind of bewildered by this like dream state mm -hmm. of these are objects but you painted them like a child and you're right. an adult and you're not allowed <laughs> to do that anymore what are you doing um and well, i think the license to to like he has a whole series of fish that I was obsessed with when I was a kid and I was just bewildered by it, I think. Oh, really? Oh, do you have any images of those? I would love to see those. Yeah, I'll send you some. Yes, um, please. They're kind of weird. He he did a lot of um, drawing and painting with um, like ink into already wet paint. And so mm -hmm. it all just kind of bleeds mm. and um, yeah, I'll send you some. It's it's pretty cool. But I think I was just kind of surprised by you're allowed to do whatever it is that you want. Mm -hmm. And just <laughs> the the bold license to do that, because there was still this sense in the Impressionist period when you're trying to depict something mm -hmm. and people have been there and seen that. Like there, there's a reason that a lot of Monet's paintings are named after specific places. Like this is the Tower yeah. of London at this yeah. time of day and you're capturing a, a mood of place. Um, but the the idea of I can, I can have a sense of place and it look nothing like the actual object, but it represent my connection to this physical thing. 
Um, well, I think that really brings up a good point too, is because, um, and I think you're kind of touching on it, which is, you know, it, it's a really important job to introduce um, the population to various artists. You know, I think that um, I realized very um, later on in life just how limited my exposure was to different types of artists, you know, because I think the reason I came to art a little bit later in life was not because I didn't want to pursue it sooner, but, but, but I didn't know that there were so many different types of artists out there because, you know, mm. we, we were given the book on impressionism, of course, you know, it's, you know, it's Western, you know, it's canon. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I think that, um, it just, there's just so much richness out there as far as art's concerned all over the globe. And so, you know, I think that one thing that I've tried to do, especially with my girls, is um, just show them and expose them to all different types of art. Because then, you know, for me, I've always been one of those individuals. If I can see somebody do it, then, you know, whatever it is, um, um, this is this is off subject, but even natural childbirth. Uh, so I had both of my girls naturally and I never thought of doing that until I saw, you know, I went to the hospital and they, you know, they prepare you to have a child and, you know, they showed one example of, you know, one way and then one example of the other. And um, I was like, oh, well, I just saw a girl do it naturally. I can do that. And so I've always been one of those people that if I can see it, right, like if I can see that it's actually been done, then that gives you the allowance that, oh, yes, and you can as well, you know. Um, it's pretty so empowering. I, yeah, because it just, it's all about exposure, all about exposure on so many levels, you know, just in life in general, right? So, but especially for art for me, which is, you know, um, we could just do such a better job of exposing our students to, to um, various types of art and not just, you know, what's in a textbook, right? So. Yeah, and so there's a, there's a couple things that are interesting about seeing it in a textbook, which it all is the same size on a page. Mm -hmm. When I I saw a painting by Matisse in person, and mm -hmm. I was shocked when I walked in the room and realized that it took up the whole room. Yeah. Whereas I'd only seen a picture of it in a textbook for years. Yeah. yeah. And it was overwhelming. Um, but the other thing is that you get to see how things are made. Someone did this physically, had to have made this. That's kind of like the unsexy part is someone in their studio with a, a, a crusty brush trying to make something that means something to them. Mm -hmm. And um, like I saw a, a picture of Helen Frankenthaler pouring paint through a canvas. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you realize how like the effect had to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, that, that physicality and that, that connection with, with creating um, I don't know. I, I always think about not just does this convey something to someone? Does this represent something? Is this a accurate depiction? But the very fact that like I am a person with a body who made something with the hands that I have that are attached to my body. Mm -hmm. And then this is what the other end of that looked like. This is the thing that was the result of it. Um, I, I think that's a lot of where people are still exploring the abstract expressionism. And yeah. um, I love that you work in series for the similar reason. Like it, you're trying to say something and you need to say it through 10 or 12 paintings to feel like you've, you've gotten your voice across. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, you know, when I taught, um, which is hilarious because the things I would teach, I would teach them and say to them all the time, I'm actually like, it'll pop up in my brain. And it's something that I need to hear. Um, so I'm, uh, so it's hilarious um, now looking back at it. But, you know, I told, you know, I asked my kids one time, I was like, you know, what, what's the difference between a good artist and a great artist? In my opinion, of course, you know, everybody has their opinion. Um, and I told them, I was like, you know, there's a lot of great artists out there, but you have to know your why. You have to know why you're doing it because, um, and that's something that I've toiled around ever since I've started because it has to be more than just, you know, is it playful and fun? Yes. But for me, it has to, it has to go farther because I think that once you put that emotional connection to it, that there's motivation behind it, then I think that that's really impactful because I also think that, um, 
there's something very special um, about creativity in the sense that I think that, you know, not to get too spiritual, but um, I think that you just realize um, how connected you are to everything. I think you empathize more sure. um, because ever since I've started painting a lot more um, and just creating on a regular basis, I just, every person I meet, I just immediately want to connect with them or feel love for mm. them. And I didn't really feel that way. I felt very separate from people previously. And so, you know, on different levels. Um, but now is that's not the way, how I feel at all. And I think that the small way that I can give back, because I think that it's really important to know the why. And if you know the why, then it brings so much more emphasis to your artwork, but then it also meaning, and then also some way that you can actually contribute back to society. Because I think that we are such a society to take, take, take and get what's ours and what we're owed or whatever people think. Um, but the beautiful part about it is ha when we realize the joy that we can experience while we're also giving back. And so the reason I've really started implementing a lot of uh, the why behind each series is because um, it's because I want to start helping impact society somehow on a, uh, in a positive way. So for instance, um, you know, 5% of my proceeds, um, go for each series goes to a cause that I believe in. And I think that, um, that is just really important. It's small and hopefully it'll be a lot more one day, but that, that is my goal, you know, um, because I think that a lot of times when people create, it's a beautiful process because you get to know so much about yourself on such an intimate level. Um, but at the same time, I think there, there becomes a time where then you're able to be healthy enough where you can turn around and say, okay, how can I also contribute, you know, as well, this beautiful thing. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. No, thanks for sharing that. That's, I think that's, that's important. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to make some, some big gesture about you're not doing it if you're not <laughs> seeing it through all the way, but I, I resonate with that. Um, it's one thing for me to make something for myself. It's another thing for me to make something and someone else say that, that touches me somewhere yes. that I haven't thought about in a while, or that reminds me of some sense of, of, of meaning, you know, yeah. whatever that looks like. Um, I was reading, have you read Art and Fear? Um, yes. Great little book. I'm constantly just skimming it. It's always around. And mm -hmm. I was rereading this section about our anxiety to share and fear of not being understood mm. as art makers mm -hmm. and how, um, there's like a, a fallacy of thought of if I make this and it is not understood, um, I'm, I'm assuming that there's a, a lower limit of the imagination of the people around me. I'm, I'm assuming that the people who are going to look at this, um, lack the imagination that I have within me as well. Mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. seeing a commonality between us and the people around us. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't know, that that hit me because I, I think about the reason that I connect with your art and the reason that other people connect with my art or, or whoever's is because we, like there is something deep and um, resonant in it where we hang art in our homes because we're not done looking at it because we want to continually be like ping-ponging our emotions off of mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that when I am um, less held back and restricted in my art making, I make things that later I, I feel like are, are a stronger voice that other people will connect with as well. But I, I don't know. I was, I was just struck by the idea of we are, we're assuming a limited imagination for the people who are looking at us if we, if we water down what we make. Yeah, um, yeah, I understand that on some levels. Um, I'm, I'm careful not to um, judge what other people think, you know, of, of anything um, when it comes to just art in general, um, because everybody has their own journey, you're right. So, 
um, I, I think that that's like a slippery slope um, in a way, because then it kind of takes you off the target a little bit in the sense that, um, or, or I guess what I should say is the healthier balance of what I've found to be true for me, of course. Um, and I can't speak to anyone else, which is, you know, if you do the work, you know, um, the person that it's meant for, or the people that, that, that it does resonate with will get a lot out of it. But if there are people that, uh, experience it, um, that don't understand it, um, then it wasn't meant for them. Um, and, um, but I also think as creators, um, it's also very important to put into place when it's time to share. And then when it's not time to share, um, because, um, as you know, especially, and I've seen this a lot with illustrators on, um, especially like New York magazine, some illustrator that I follow on Instagram, you know, there's, there's a lot of drawings or in painters too, um, that people don't share because, um, it's not always for the viewer, right? It's not always for the buyer. Some, sometimes they're just intimate and for you. And, um, some of it's a growing process just for you to learn things from and not necessarily to, um, feel the need to share everything. Now, obviously there's a balance there, right? Um, because obviously you have to share in order to sell. Um, but, uh, I actually, actually, um, uh, side note, I actually get very, uh, I tell my mom um, not to look at my work uh, when I'm in the process of it, um, because I've realized what my healthy balance is, because I don't get too, or I try not to get too caught up in the opinions of others is if I ask her, then, then she's allowed to tell me what she thinks about it. But when I'm in that vulnerable state where I'm creating something and I'm not sure where it's going, or it's just the first couple layers um, then I don't ask and I don't share a lot of times because that part of it to me is still very precious, you know, and it's a place that I want to kind of keep pure in a way, you know? And so yeah. I know they talk about that a lot in the artist way where, um, it's important to know who, um, who your uh, circle of trust is like, who's in the circle of trust, you know, people that you can really rely on to, um, talk with about your art and then the people that are outside of your circle and that and that illustration can actually be very helpful because especially when you're starting out because you know you create something and it's so beautiful to you you know and there's this place where you're like I can't even imagine a person you know not loving this piece and then the first person you show um, they're yeah. like I don't I don't yeah. get it you know and so it's you, you know it's art is very precious in the sense that um, you know it's you know, you're communicating visually part of, of who you are on some levels. Um, and that's, um, and that's a beautiful thing because a very special person does that, right. Not everybody, um, can do that so easily, but we also, um, and what I have found to be true about most artists is most artists tend to be sensitive, you know, and I think that's probably where we get a lot of our inspiration from because we are that way. Um, but we also have to guard that and protect that, um, during the creative process as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier about your your inwardly harsh on yourself, and I I know I, I feel like most artists that I know, myself included, have to kind of turn the volume down on that mm -hmm. on that voice while I'm working, and and even afterwards, you know. But the uh, I don't know, crit critique is a hard thing to to navigate and the, the place of it, it's, it's place in, in your life as a, as a maker is a, is a weird thing. Cause you want to be, um, you want to have consideration and intentionality with what you're presenting to people. You're right. Outside of the things that you keep to yeah. yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I found that the solution to that is, is just to make more. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, just and I keep, keep on, going. just keep on going, just make more. Yeah. If you think that you, you know, if you think 10 is great, then make 20, you know what I mean? Because the more you make, the more separate you come from each of them. That's also what I've realized is that even though someone that's never done a painting before, they create their first one and it's like their baby, you know, they love yeah. it. It's beautiful because you see this attachment to it and the sense of empowerment, you know, they're proud of it, you know? which is, um, which is really nice, but for an artist specifically, the more work you can make, the more detached you come from each piece, you know, because you're like, well, I could, you know, it doesn't matter if this one, nobody resonates with, cause I'm going to do 10 after this, you know? So, 
once yeah. I, I have found, or at least just in my experience that, um, if I'm feeling that way, especially, um, uh, questioning a lot of my motives then all I need to do is normally is get out of my analytical mind and get, just get back in the studio and just make more. Right. Um, and it's hard to do sometimes, right. Because life happens, but that seems to, to solve that voice a lot more, um, as opposed to, um, sitting around and analyzing that one painting. Right. Is that when you decided to, to move towards making series of paintings? Yeah. So I think, um, I probably did series. Um, I could probably do paintings, you know, I could probably release one every week, but honestly, it's really from a business standpoint because a business standpoint, and then also a belief standpoint, because, um, two things that are common for each of the series are why motivations of uh, why they happen. One is because I don't always want to be wrapping and selling work, you know, um, because then I would never be in the studio creating. Um, so a series release gives me that opportunity that, that I try to sell all at the same time. And I'm in that state of mind, um, because selling is a completely different state of mind, obviously than creating. And so, and then secondly, um, each of the series tend to, um, it kind of helps ground each because obviously a lot of my work is abstract. So, um, I think that, but to, in order to ground the series, um, by giving it a significance or, um, a concept behind it really kind of just ties it in a little bow. And then it gives me kind of permission to turn around and then begin again, because I'm one of those individuals that, that just constantly wants to try something new. Um, but it disciplines me enough to where at least I have to hang on right to a specific style or a specific color choice or whatever at least for a group of paintings until I cut myself loose and then try something different. So it's, it's what I have found that helps me uh, to discipline me enough, but then also give me a chance to be in the process of creating. So I'm not always trying to pack things up and, and sell um, and then, and just to do it at one particular time. Yeah. I love that. Um, Margaret, thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks for yes, hopping on and spending time you. talking. This has been a blast. Yeah, um, I'm so glad we got to finally the, talk. I know, I know. Uh, a long time coming. I'm I'm glad that we've started the conversation. Um, for the people who are listening, would you tell them how they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my website is um, mlbrownstudio.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at mlbrownstudio as well. Um, and yeah, and then I have another and then my um, courses are uh, under ML Brown Studio, but then also Instagram at um, the creative unblock. So you can find me in any of those places. Awesome. Perfect. Again, you can reach out to me if you have any questions or if you want to make a recommendation. Kevin Joseph Art at gmail.com. Thank you.